Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 13. And the last time the message was titled, The Trials of Christ? Question mark. Because was Jesus really on trial? You know, he did nothing wrong. He was an innocent man. We're going to look. We're sort of towards the end of the trial period before we get into the crucifixion. However, prophecy said that he had to die for our sins. And not just any death. He had to shed his blood for the remission of sins, going back to Leviticus 17 in the Old Testament, going back into the temple sacrifices, right, that existed. Uh, Our generation, unless we look at history, we're not familiar with the temple and the things that happened. It was pretty amazing what was established and set up. So, you know, Jesus had to go through this procedure so that he could shed his blood. And it was very specific what God's Word said about the Messiah and how he would come and live and die and the implications for us. So it is pretty powerful when you see all the different ins and outs that Jesus went through because he loves us so much. And today the message is titled, The Polarizing Effect. Now, we are entering, I guess, an off year of election, right? <laughs> so the big elections are the, you know, the presidential elections and things like that. And Tuesday is some of the local races, etc. Uh, but... It's so funny because I, I titled this The Polarizing Effect, and I think, well, what, what are the, what's the greatest thing that polarizes especially our culture? It's usually politics, right? Both sides are staunch in their side. I actually read a uh, poll, and it's really sad that both parties um, you know, have decided that they will not ha- have friends that are from the opposing party. So when you talk about polarizing, that's there. That's a negative polarizing effect. Jesus actually had a positive polarizing effect in that Jesus was concerned about our lives and what we do here, but mostly Christ was concerned about us getting to heaven, being with the Father, being with Him, being in the new kingdom. That's big. Okay, so when you hear the claims of Christ, that's also polarizing. If I tell you, Jesus says, I'm the only way, I'm the the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me, some people get irritated when they hear that. It's immediately polarizing them against him because, well, it's, what is this only way? How can that be fair? And man, it, it isn't that it's, it's restrictive. It's that it, it's a way to save humanity. There's nothing else that the human race can do, right? So God had to do it for us. So we are either polarized. I believe all the claims that Jesus made. I've investigated it for many years, and this is the conclusion I come to. So with all the polarizing, the media, politics, etc., that we deal with in our culture, the, the one that's the most important is the one that's going to polarize in the sense that gets us to a place where we're on the right track when it comes to the rest of our lives. So that's the most important thing. We're going to look at this in three parts. And uh, next Sunday, actually, I'm going to get into some of the medical aspects of the crucifixion. I'm really into anatomy and physiology, but just the different nerves that would have been pierced in the wrists and the feet. Uh, you know, the, the, the diaphragmatic system and, and the suffocation that's caused by 
you know, cardiac arrest, pleural effusion, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff we're going to talk about. And I have a med student who I asked her to, to fact check me after I'm done to make sure I, I got it all straight here. I have about six, seven nurses too. So let's see what happens. <laughs> but it's, I think the, well, the reason why I'm going to go through a lot of that is because it shows that Christ could have come off the cross at any time and what he was suffering, but he stayed there because of us. And when you really start to get into this, why does the Bible give so many details of such a horrible form of capital punishment? Somebody who was innocent, it's disturbing to read. But when you read it and you understand his mindset, at any point he could have said, you know what, that's enough. This, I don't deserve this. It's, I'm God the Son. I'm not doing this anymore. He did it for hours, hours and hours and hours until... You know, fully God, fully man, the man part eventually perished. And we're going to talk about that as well. So it's really, really amazing stuff. So we're going to jump in in verse 13, uh, Luke chapter 23. It says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man, Jesus, to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod. Remember, he bounced them to Herod. Herod sent them back. For I sent, I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him, which was the brutal treatment. It wasn't nice. Oh, I'm going to chastise him. I'm going to say, hey, don't do that again. No, the chastising was the abuse that he uh, you know, suffered from the soldiers, the blood loss, the pain. So, I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, then he ends up going to the cross. He says, and then I'm going to release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. So one out of three is Pilate tries Christ again. Now, we went through the whole jurisprudence system from the Jewish system, right? The religious system, how they had to acquiesce to the Roman jurisprudence system. We talked about the three trials that Jesus went through in the religious side, how he got bounced to Pilate. Pilate found out he was from Herod's district. He bounces Jesus to, to Herod, which they were both at the same city at the same time. And this is all happening in the wee hours of the night and the morning. And then Herod, you know, he wants Jesus to perform a miracle, and Jesus ignores him because it's throwing pearls before swine. Herod bounces Jesus back to Pilate. So that's where we are right now. Starts out with a not guilty verdict for an innocent man and ends up with the death penalty for the same innocent man. It's so amazing. It's so strange, bizarre how the people handled this. But it was all spoken about in prophecy, right? So you're talking about uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Zechariah, all these different prophecies, hundreds of years written prior. Who could know all this stuff? Only God can. And that's how he reveals himself a lot of times for people who don't believe in God. And you just have to put to somebody and say, well, how would he know all these things? I mean, these prophecies took place such a long time ago that it's almost like we think the United States has been here forever. These prophecies far out, outpace the United States, even in its inception. That's how old these prophecies are. How could this be? It's only miraculous because God is outside of time. So, what we have is that Pilate tries to, he doesn't want anything to do with this trial. It's a political football, so to speak. There's a lot of things. He knows uh, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. So he tries to placate the accusers with a flogging, with a beating of Jesus. And then he tries to get the crowd to take advantage of a pardon, which we're going to come to. That was to no avail. 
So Pilate is stuck with this situation, but Pilate was not a good guy if you read about history. He had serious character flaws, and he's in, a, in an in unstable uh, position, untenable position. So he's mocked, he's beaten. Now when you look at all four Gospels together, you see that when you put them all together, there's a beautiful, perfect, detailed picture of what happened. So it doesn't really say it here, but in other Gospels it talks about the crown of thorns that were woven and, and you know, jammed onto his head in addition to the, his back being ripped open and all these other things, and then of course the crucifixion. However, the flogging, maybe uh, Pilate was trying to garner some sympathy. Jesus comes out, and again, I've seen, doing what I did for 25 years, I've seen injuries from beatings and injuries and, and you know the, the swelling and the capillary action and the, the histamine response, and just there's such a, the person is almost to a state of disfigurement. But we did see that, right, prophesied, even that detail uh, in, in the different portions of Isaiah and Zechariah. So a lot going on here, and I'm just kind of setting the stage here, and then we'll get into some of the application. In John 18, I want to just kind of put a little filler in from John 18 and 19 because it really paints the entire picture here. We get more of the detail that John focused on. Um, we find that in John 18, Pontius Pilate is intrigued by his discussion with Jesus. He doesn't know what to make of it, right? So with Pilate, if he had somebody who was condemned to crucifixion or heading in that direction, they would beg Pilate. They would get down on their knees. They would prostrate themselves before him. They would kiss his hand. They would offer him bribes and whatever the person, because nobody wanted to be crucified. But Jesus was totally in control of the situation. Now, there's a lot of, I'm going to get into the historians next Sunday. A lot of what I do, as you could tell, is for the crowd, some of the people who say, I don't believe it, prove it to me. That's not a problem. We'll talk about the Roman historians, how they mention Jesus and the miracles and even the details of the crucifixion. But, um, you know, Jesus wasn't moved by Pilate. He wasn't looking for a way out. He didn't beg him. Jesus was in total control. Hard to believe from an observer standpoint but we, if people of faith, when we totally understand the big picture, we get this. So what happens is, uh, he wants Jesus to cooperate with him so he can release him. In John 18.36, Jesus famously tells Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this, this world. So Pilate's trying to talk him into, hey, talk to me, let's build a case together, almost as sort of an advocate. And Jesus is saying, this has to happen, right? Um, he, Jesus goes on to tell Pilate, I believe he's witnessing the Pilate, right? Trying to share the truth of salvation with Pilate as well, as, as Jesus did and the Apostle Paul and many others in the Roman world. Jesus says to him that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth, to which Pilate replies, what is truth? Right? Famously, we remember some of these dialogues and we've read these over the years. What is truth? When someone is compromised in their character, they usually don't care about the truth. We're seeing that in our culture today. And I hate to listen, election day is coming up, so I'll bring it. I have a negative opinion of politics, as you could tell if you've been here a few times. So some of these politicians, you know, they're in 10, 20, 30 years, they become very compromised and they become very good liars. What is the truth? Hey, it's all about me staying in power, my family, you know, my party. Right? And we see a lot of that. So truth is not important anymore. Right? So Pilate is intrigued by Jesus, but he's so damaged 
He damaged his own character, and you can read about him that he, he's not even sure what truth is anymore, but truth was standing right in front of him. So if you look up truth, and I looked at a, a, a few dictionaries, uh, one definition of truth is reality. Another one is actuality. Another one is that it's based on fact. It's based on fact. What about God? People can have opinions about God, of things they've heard, things they've experienced from bad representatives, and they have this attitude that God doesn't exist, but He does. Right? How does the human brain work on so many levels? Uh, autonomous nervous system, you know, respiration, heart rate, you know, endocrine system, digestive system, all happening at the same time, but at the same time you can think, hear what people are saying, auditory nerve into the brain, you respond with your vocal cords. That's just a small part of it. Uh, the human brain, the human mind is so powerful. How could a series of billions and trillions of accidents create something so amazingly complex? It can't. Our ability to love. Who can explain love? Right? What is love? Oh, you can look it up in the dictionary. You can experience it. But again, it's something that God gave us the ability to have. Relationships. He desires the same relationship with Him as He put into us with others. Would He desire anything less? So when you really study the human being, even in its fallen state, that's the amazing thing. It's an incredible machine. And I just a little... little Take a little motion out of that one. Uh, but what is truth? What about God? Is there a God? If there is a God, what does He want from my life? Well, if you read the Bible, He wants me and you sinners to be reconciled back to Him. He wants to save us. That's why He sent His Son into the world. So we can check that out. Today, truth in our culture has become subservient to feelings and emotions. There's a lot of angry people out there. A lot of people staunch in what they believe. And it might not be based on the truth. And that's sad. Because one day we will all be in the presence of truth. And this world and its falsity won't exist anymore. In John 19, Pilate asked Jesus if he realizes, I love this. I love, when I did John 18 and 19, I just, I just imagined myself being one of the Praetorium Guard soldiers watching the discussion back and forth. And he asked Jesus if he realizes that he, Pilate, has the power to release him. To which Jesus replies, <laughs> You would have no power unless it was given to you from above. I want to read Matthew twenty-seven nineteen, which is pretty powerful. In one of the discourses that uh, Pilate is having with Jesus, we see something very interesting. It says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate, his wife sent to him through a messenger saying, have nothing to do with that just man, meaning Jesus, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So then what does Pilate do? I wash my hands. Symbolically, he's saying, it's not me, it's them. I'm just consenting to it. Right? Come on. <laughs> so, but that's what he does. He washes his hands. And you know what? Every single judge who has ever existed, every powerful leader will stand before the truth. will stand before Jesus and have a given account for their lives. And my question is, how do you want to meet Jesus? Well, I certainly don't want to meet Him in judgment. I want to meet Him because I'm reconciled to Him. He's died for my sins. And He says, well done, you know, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear, right? So many years of my life, up until my 20s, I couldn't say that about myself. Looking back, I realized, wow, 
I'm so glad that, you know, and the Lord does in many different ways. Maybe through this sermon, He tries to reach people. You know, He tries to reach out to you. People will come to me after service and say, well, what did my, you know, my uncle say? I'm here for the first time and I feel like you're talking about me, you know? I'm just, listen, I make my notes. I don't take input. You know, talk about Bob. Talk about Jane. I just make, just come up with it. If it has something that touches a nerve, well, you've got to say to yourself, wow, maybe this is God speaking through the sermon. It's God. It, it is. Because he does things I don't even know what he's doing while, during the sermon. And I may not know until I come see him one day. Verse 18, continuing on. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murderer. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I find I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So too, Barabbas is preferred over Christ. Now understand that if you look at the historical Pontius Pilate, who for many years people said, oh, the Bible's not true, he doesn't exist until archaeology. I love archaeology. You got a bunch of secular people who dig in the dirt and find stuff and go, oh yeah, the Bible was right on this one. You know what I'm saying? So how many times, there was an explosion in archaeology in the early 20th century that found a lot of things that people said, this isn't true about the Bible. This name isn't true. You know, when you lie, if you're a compulsive liar, you don't give details because that could be found out. You speak in generalities, right? You speak to people's emotions. Bible gives details, including names. So now we know if you look up, you know, your secular encyclopedia, Pontius Pilate was probably the sixth or seventh prefect from Capanius in the Roman system. He existed, as we all knew, because the Bible has always been right. So Barabbas preferred over Christ. Now, I want to throw this in as well, in the historical sense, is that uh, Pilate, so he's the governor, the prefect, uh, you know, they change names over the years, but he basically is, co- is governing Jerusalem, and he purposely seems to get under the skin of some of the religious system because he feels they're not complying. And he does a few things, and you can look this up, that really irritate them. Uh, some lead to bloodshed, and they actually appeal to Caesar. And Caesar, at some point, was tired of Pilate's shenanigans, so he basically said, I'm paraphrasing, pump the brakes or you're out. So Pilate's in this quandary now where he is unnoticed by his, his supervisors or his superiors. And so he does something interesting with this whole... Um, pardon thing which he had the ability to do so he figures let me get the worst of the worst people out of prison let me get barabbas when it says that he's been arrested and charged for murder no doubt uh multiple murders right he was a a, a, a sicarius or a zealot uh and he figured well let me put jesus who didn't do anything wrong he's bruised and bloodied and this guy barabbas surely they'll want to pardon jesus and not let this guy out on the street but they asked for Barabbas instead. So this is an a ironic picture of the world we live in. 
right? Today you have a culture that follows the most vile and wicked people over Jesus Christ. You find me something who's into something that's very vile and very wicked and you ask about Jesus and they will viscerally, um, they will angrily respond to you and they probably don't even know why they're upset. Because you have to choose good or evil, right? I look at the situation today with some of these ideas of pro-Hamas and listen, I do not lump the Palestinian people in with Hamas. You know, they're being oppressed by Hamas. Uh, and they know that Hamas is causing their hardship to their children and their families and their communities. So it's one thing to say, hey, you know, I pray for the Israeli citizens, I pray for the hostages, I pray for the Palestinian people, and that's certainly legit. However, Hamas is just a very wicked organization, and there are people out there who are seeing this, this anti-Semitism, this pro-Hamas, these people... Listen, they took videos of themselves tormenting uh, families and children and the things they did. I don't even want to say the things that they did from the pulpit, but it's, it's demonic, basically. So the same people who are, are for these guys, you ask them about Jesus, they'll be angry about Jesus. Like Pilate said, what did Jesus do? What did He do? He died for our sins. What, what is your problem with Who could have a problem with Jesus when you read the Bible? Right? So, so this is what you have going on. Uh, verse 18, the, cr- the crowd cries out. Now, I'm going to basically look at the crowd and maybe make a three-part division here. Uh, a, the crowd consisted of the followers of Jesus, who were probably being overpowered by B, right? The enemies of Jesus. The religious system, uh, the corrupt part of it. Uh, they were those that were able to manipulate the jurisprudence system and get Christ arrested and tried and condemned while people were sleeping or either in, or enjoying the festival. So you have these two groups. Now C, the third part of this group would be what I would call maybe the 51% or more. The majority of the people who are undecided and they weren't entirely sure what to believe. Again, so I'm going to use this because it's in a few days, <laughs> election season, especially the presidential election, right? Uh, what do they often say when you watch TV? It's the undecideds. It's so close. The undecideds are going to decide the election. So you have, you know, two uh, opposing camps and, and the two groups that are totally, you know, dug in, but that you need a few percentage points if they're that close to get the one over the finish line. So they'll say the undecideds are the ones that might decide these elections, which is kind of sad if you think about it. So you have these people who are undecided, and you know they weren't sure where to fit in. But listen, today you have the undecideds about Jesus t- today as well, right? Don't we? Right. There could be somebody sitting here who's undecided about Jesus. I'm not sure what to believe. I heard this, and I heard that, and I know this person's a Christian, and you know this church uh, made me feel a certain way. So they're undecided. But you you have to investigate the claims and come down on one side or the other, right? Tragically, many back then and today were too busy with this temporary life to investigate the claims of Christ. Now, I've heard people say, well, they were screaming Hosanna, right? Praising Jesus a few days ago, and now they're screaming crucify Him. So let me just say this. It wasn't the entire crowd, but it was probably some of the undecideds. Imagine that. Hosanna! Hey, what's going on? That's Jesus. He raised that guy from the dead. Oh my goodness, he's here. He's riding on donkey. Oh, they're putting palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Caught up in emotion. What do you really know about Jesus? I don't know, but everybody's excited, so I'm excited. A few days later, 
the majority, or the, not to say the majority, um, the insiders are going through the crowd saying, you know what this guy did? He claimed to be God. He did it. So they, were, they were, had that thing. So some of the undecideds were like, they hear, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. Hey, aren't we seeing that in American culture? Mob mentality? You, you could know somebody who's a, probably a, somewhat of a decent person, maybe neutral, and then you see one of these crimes committed where there's 10, 20, 30 mob mentality, and that person's in the mob. It's a psychological thing when you're around a lot of people and they're all going in the same direction and you're like, well, I don't want to be the outsider. I'm going to do this too. I'm going to engage in it. Look at social media, right? They send these memes. A lot of them are bots and are, we have a whole culture that's brainwashed by the computer. Everybody says it, so I have to. Everyone puts up that meme, so I have to put up that meme. No, you don't. Think for yourself. Investigate. Certainly investigate the claims of Christ. Is He God the Son or is He not? Did He come to save our souls or did He not? When I did my investigation and came to that conclusion, I said, okay, I, I, everybody kind of falls into this funnel. When they do the, the research, the honest research, now the question is, what does God want from my, my life? What does He want from me? What do I do next? Right? And everyone has to make that decision. Social media is temporary. What you wear on a Sunday or during the week is temporary. I got up in the morning and I, I wore light slacks and a, a pink shirt. And my wife said, it's fall. She goes, yeah. or she goes you got you to gotta dress fall forward. I said, babe, it's warm out. I said, I'm in, psychologically, I just want it to still be warm. It's in the 60s. So I put on the pink shirt and nobody cares. Right? God doesn't care. You don't care. She probably forgot, she's watching. She probably forgot about our discussion. My dogs don't care. Um, you know. But the bottom line is when it comes to eternity, you got to care. You got to research it. You got to dig into it. We're not promised another day. So that's what you have, right? Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of interesting stuff in here. And this whole Barabbas spirit uh, is alive and well. It hasn't gone away. He's long gone. I hope he repented before he died. But that spirit is still alive, and we're going to talk about it. So in verse 21, they shouted, Crucify him! Now, the Roman Colosseums became more decadent as the Roman uh, Empire was starting to fall in decadence. Mismanagement, losing some battles. Uh, so they had to keep the people amused. They had to keep them mesmerized so they couldn't investigate right and see what was really going on in the government. So they, it was more blood sport. It was more dumbing down the masses. Uh, and what happened? Right? People were drawn to this stuff. It's that carnal nature of the sinner that's drawn to that blood sport. As long as it's not them. As long as it's not me. Seriously, years ago, I don't even know if he's still around, but why did anybody ever watch the Jerry Springer show? Now you're all laughing. Because somebody was going to get a beatdown on live TV, right? Uh, they don't care what the subject matter is. Nobody remembers anything Springer said, but they do remember he had his bodyguards that they let them throw a few punches. Oh, yeah, look at this. Somebody's going to get a beatdown. And then they would separate them. You know, we, we think about uh, even in American culture, right? The, the Hollywood movies become more graphic, more bloody, it's like a sort of rite of passage for people to watch these movies about some person who's innocent being hunted down and 
you know, killed by the, the, the creep, or the, the serial killer, whatever. Video games where mutilation is becoming more uh, in your face. It's becoming more aggressive. It's becoming more lifelike, right? Um, I can tell you this, as a police officer, I saw the real thing. Oh, yeah, I saw people die horrifically, and I can't get those images out of my head. Some of them are 30 years ago, right? There's nothing pretty about death. Nothing pretty about somebody becoming a victim and uh, perishing that way, right? But American culture, it's blood sport. The more blood, the better. And back then, I'm just talking about our culture. Back then, it was the same way. It was the same way. Crucify him. What did he do? Who cares? We're going to get to see somebody crucified and watch him writhe in pain. As long as it's not me, I don't care. Right? And that's the carnal nature of the human race. Have we become any more civilized? I wonder. Right? So Barabbas is still preferred over Christ. Um, again, I talked about that, you know, with the, with, you know, even today, making some of the comparisons. Seriously, I'm just curious. And, and again, I, listen, we're on the live stream. We've got people watching for the first time, sitting in here for the first time. Just listen, I'm not, I'm not confrontational. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. So my attitude is, if somebody is not sure about Christ, I'm not here to argue with them. I want to help them to find the truth. So if somebody has a problem with Jesus, let me know. Let's talk after service. What is your problem with Jesus? Is it based on fact? What did he ever do to anybody except live to about 33 years old and then willingly give his life so we could have life? So how could you be mad at anybody who does something like that? Right? He's the only one who could have done it. Your relatives can't die for you. Your parents can't die for you. It wouldn't have any meaning. He had to be fully God and fully man. That's how he had to come into this world. So I, I wonder, and actually I'm curious you know, I'm not one of those Christians who kind of stays in my little box with my little peer group. I love to talk to people who, somebody will say to me, oh, you know, my nephew, he's really hostile. I sort of want to introduce him. I'm like, introduce him to me. Stop hemming and hawing. I want to meet him. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm so curious how anybody could not like the biblical Christ. What is it about him? You know, what is it? Is it you know, with some people, I was, there was a lady who was... Uh, it was one of these um, maybe protests. This woman, young woman, she was shouting and, and she, was, uh, she had an anxiety attack. She broke down. She was sitting down. She, she, she had all these things going on and somebody interviewed and they said, what are you so upset about? And she said, I don't know. I don't know. Right? People are angry today. And I'm not making fun of them. They just don't know. Why is everybody so angry today? Why is everybody so hostile? Right? Do we take time to get to know what's really going on inside of our heart? You know, what do you, why would you be hostile towards Jesus? I don't know. Maybe somebody has an answer I never heard before. But I'm, I'm curious. Right? <laughs> so, um, you know, here's another issue. Jesus spoke about, now this is interesting, he spoke about a few times about the Antichrist who is to come. The word in Greek is the prefix is not he's against Christ. The prefix in Greek tells us he is claiming to be Christ. So Jesus said, the world will reject me. You know, he'll be crucified. He'll ascend into heaven afterwards after being resurrected. He goes, but one will come with, with the name of the Messiah. And many of the world will follow him. Why will they follow him? Because he's going to tell people what they want to hear. The Disciple John wrote in his, in his letters, 
He said there were many antichrists who came. Think about these charismatic leaders who, Stalin, Hitler, you know, Castro brothers, very charismatic, reaching out to the youth. They don't care about the youth. We're seeing that today, reaching out, oh yeah, I care about the working, you don't care about the working class. Nobody follows the money anymore. Very charismatic, and they come as if they're a Messiah figure in the political realm. Oh, I'm going to save you, you know. And, and we see that all the time. But one will come, this, this, the last Antichrist, the culmination, and he will dupe the world. He'll stop all the wars. Okay, Pastor Joe, how's that going to happen? He'll bring peace to the Middle East. Pastor Joe, how's that going to happen? Through lies, through shenanigans, through meeting with certain groups and plotting and saying, listen, do this. Let's make it look good on the surface. And then he's going to plunge the world into war and chaos. And he's not going to care because he's the Antichrist. He's inspired by Satan. Right? And I believe, according to the Scripture, that the Christians, will be, we, the Lord will take us home before that happens. We're going to cover that in 1 Corinthians 4. So it's that spirit, the spirit of depravity, the Antichrist, Barabbas, right? And, um, y- you know, I'm going to read Genesis 6, 3 and 6, 5. just want to read these two verses to you. God makes the human race. He gives the human race free will, right? You've got Cain and Abel. I think one of the first murders. Um, and Cain kills his brother Abel because he's doing the wrong thing. And he doesn't want to own up to it. And his brother's a good guy. Right? So he kills him. You ever see that? You ever seen the corporate world? Eliminate the competition? <laughs> How do these things happen? Genesis 6.3, And the Lord said, God said, My spirit shall not strive with humanity forever. For he is indeed flesh. He's carnal. Yet his days shall be 120 years. So the lifespan was a lot longer prior to this time. The Lord truncated it. He, he made it less. Uh, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, or the human race, was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So you think that God would have said, You know what? Uh, this is just not working. I'm just getting rid of all these people. Well, what did he do? He sent the Messiah to save our souls. That was His desire. Salvation. You know, God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. Verse 26, last few verses. Continuing on, it says, Now as they led Him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian. Cyrene was most likely uh, Libya, North Africa region. And we're going to talk about this. Interesting how many flocked from so many regions in the area uh, to get to the Passover. Remember, this is still going on. This feast is still going on. The celebration. Um, Who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You know, how many people, and again, you've seen it in documentaries, um, you might have experienced it personally, someone who knows, they just know. It's a a life-threatening injury, it's uh, some disease, and they just know. Maybe they have a few days left. And um, if you're in the Lord and you know the Lord, you have a peace. You know where you're going. If the person doesn't know where they're going, and I've done deathbed uh, hospital visits, and I've gone to people's homes, and it's amazing how they're like, you know what? What do I have to do to be saved? 
right? The person thinks about, wow, all those years I live, it's all, it's all running out now. Now what happens after I close my eyes for the last time? So here Jesus is, he's going to the cross. He probably looks terrible from the outside. And he's worried about everybody else. <laughs> Who does that, right? He, he's, it's like, well, you, and Pilate's like, don't you realize I could release you? You would have no power unless it was given to you from above. What's wrong with this man? He's going to die. But he knows he's going to rise again. He says, Weep for yourselves and for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? A lot of metaphors from Jesus, a lot of symbolism. So three is from the well-known to the least known. So the Bible does a great job, and, and you see some of these literary works where it's all about the powerful people, it's all about the charismatic people, details of the common person are just left out. What you find out here is that nobody is insignificant. And especially when we look at Simon and what happened to him in his life, the Bible shares with us, it's actually pretty powerful. This short encounter with Jesus. What happens here? So Simon from Cyrene um, probably understood enough about the Old Testament to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now the guy's minding his own business, and here was a Roman custom. So again, it was their laws. Uh, the, the Roman gladius, that, that, that medium-sized, medium-range sword, that if you, the Romans needed you, the soldiers needed you to do something, they could take the gladius and tap it on your shoulder, and you'd be like, oh, what, what did I do? Come over here, you've got to carry his cross piece. So there's actually had, they actually had two words. People say, oh, you know, there was no such thing as crucifixion. Well, we, they're still digging up crosses in, in the Middle East. Of course there was crucifixion. started with the Persians, but the Romans perfected it to a, a torturous level. So there was the stipes, which was the, hor- uh, the vertical piece, and the pedibulum, which was less weight. But Jesus had lost so much blood that um, his physical body was, you see the movies, you know, I don't know what it was like, but he probably was stumbling and he tried to carry it and fell down. So they would, they tapped um, Simon and said, you got to help him carry the, the cross, right? The patabolum. So what he did was he helped Jesus by compulsion, carry this cross piece to the hill where Jesus was going to be bound to it. And they were going to hoist him up on the stipes and he would be crucified. So it's, it's an interesting thing to look at. Um, what we find out about this guy, Simon, who people can just, oh, Simon, some guy, and we don't hear about him again. Simon was the father. He became the father. At some point, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, who were part of the church. We see this in Mark fifteen twenty one and Romans sixteen thirteen, And Paul, the Apostle Paul gives honorable mention to those boys, right? Alexander and Rufus. So, what was it about this 20-minute encounter with Jesus that changed Simon's life? He's just probably coming in. He heard about, you know, a lot of people were drawn to monotheism of Judaism. So here he comes. He's, he's checking it out. Passover, maybe celebrating it. He's all of a sudden diverted. Isn't it an amazing thing when God diverts us? Right? He diverts him, and now he's forced to help Jesus carry his cross and probably couldn't have taken more than 20 minutes 25 minutes for him to help jesus get to the spot where he was going to be crucified 
And then they would send Simon on his way. But what was it in that 20 minutes or so encounter that changed his life? You know, you can't come into the presence of Jesus without having your life changed in one way or the other. It's either going to, again, polarize you more against it. Because you, listen, in, in the early uh, months of me, years of learning about Christ, I resisted it. Because in back of my mind, I thought, well, he's going to make me do stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> my lifestyle is going to change, and I don't want it to change. So I had all these ridiculous reasons why I delayed coming to Christ. And we, we, we all do. Some people come right away, and God bless you. You're a better man or woman than me. <laughs> so but I was stubborn. But once it took and once I started to follow him, I, I never departed because, because I know who he is. So here's Simon starting out in this Passover season, right? Observing the Passover. And then he gets to meet the literal Passover. I mean, amen to that, right? <laughs> the Passover lamb is Jesus. Um, I'll be speaking at an FCA event Wednesday. And I'm going to talk to them about my conversion experience and you know what life was like as a young man before Christ and what life was like afterwards. And it was really a night and day thing. But that, and, and I didn't actually tangibly meet, obviously, the physical Jesus, but I got to understand Jesus through the studying of the Word and history and archaeology. And I was already part of religion, but I wanted to really know Christ. I didn't want to be part of something that was staged and organized and, you know, you got to go through people. God says, just come to me. He wants a direct relationship with us, right? You love your kids. You love your siblings. You love your parents. You love your best friend. God says, I want you to love me too, but he's not going to force us. So he is a personal God. Verse 28 through 29 is the next group. So from Simon, and that's really short, folks, but... What we do find, and we'll probably see uh, Simon in heaven, I'd like to ask him, what was it? What did he say to you? you know, what, what was it about his demeanor? You know, you just, you said, oh. I, so sometimes, you know, folks, when we get diverted, it's a good thing. Sometimes we're just so focused on our schedules and stuff. I know for me, I get into my OCD realm and I get into my boxes and, and then God's like, oh, come over here, a diversion, Right? And I've had negative things happen to me, and I've gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, Lord, a negative thing is happening to me right now. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> do you want me to talk to that person? Do you want me to put my, my rights aside and just, is this a ministry opportunity? So Simon was probably not happy about that gladius touching his shoulder. Oh, what are they going to make me do? Oh, I've got to carry this cross piece. By the time he, they let him go in his encounter with Jesus, he becomes a believer at some point. Pretty amazing stuff. That is the true Jesus of the Bible. If you experienced anything less and you're turned off, you got the wrong experience. Seek the truth. Seek the biblical Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul says there's a false gospel out there. Right? There's a false Jesus that some people adhere to. And, and I, I read some of this stuff and I'm like, who are they talking about? That is not the Jesus of the Bible. So yeah, you can be turned off by that. So the next group is the, and this is where we're going to close, is the women who are weeping for Christ. Now, again, I, I love to go into history. This could have been followers of Jesus, certainly. It could have been women who um, came out because they were, that was their way of protesting the horrible crucifixion. If you, again, if you read about it in your history books, 
Actually, if you, if you notice that some of the notable uh, killers, uh, when they're going to give them an injection or uh, in the United States, right, you'll see the camera crews, they'll show the ones that want the justice with the signs, and you got the other group who are weeping, and they think that it's wrong to kill in, in any way. I'm just saying, this is, this is what they do. I've seen them. You know, they're out there and they're protesting capital punishment, right? So were these women protesting, which they could have been, uh, or were they followers of Christ? We're not really sure. Uh, so basically, he says to them, don't weep for me. Weep for your, yourselves and your children. Hard times are coming. So now remember, Jesus is, Jesus is not inhibited by time, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. So when Jesus looks out at the world... Right? He's God the Son. He can see the past. He references the Old Testament, references the flood of Noah, references things in the past that happened that people are like, oh, how did you know that? Jesus spoke about the present day when He was on the earth. He also spoke about the future. Uh, we know about prophecy. We know about the end times. We know about the Antichrist. That's in our future. He's, he's not here yet, or He could be here, but he's not, He hasn't risen to prominence yet. It would be obvious if He had. So Jesus here is now basically saying, hey, some things are coming, and thank you ladies, for I'm paraphrasing, for caring about me, but you need to be caring about yourself. I'm here for you. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to save the world, but you're still going to be here when I'm resurrected and ascended into heaven, and you know, hard times are coming. So within 40 years, not quite 40 years, was the brutal war, and you can look this up, A.D. 66 through A.D. 70, the Roman-Jewish wars, culminating with the destruction of Jerusalem. So Jesus was basically saying, have concern for yourself, these things are coming, and uh, he sort of projects 2,000 years into the future, into end times prophecy, things that haven't happened yet. So this uh, phrase they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Now this was spoken about in Hosea 10 about a situation that happened many centuries prior, but it also spoken about in Revelation 6 where the Revelation judgments come, right? Just prior to the Lord's second coming and the rebellious will see the judgments and realize, wow, this is a God thing and they will just ask for for their lives to be taken instead of repenting in front of God. So he's basically saying to the ladies, when I look diachronistically 2,000 years into the future, all of these things are going to take place. So, verse 31, the green wood versus the dry wood. So what Jesus is saying, again, he spoke metaphorically, in the green wood, Jesus was saying, hey, I'm here. Jesus is the green wood. It's, it's vibrant, it's lush, it's growing, it's beautiful, it's productive. So what Jesus was saying is, when I'm in the world, I'm a preserving effect. A preserving influence. Uh, there's miracles, there's revival. But the dry wood is coming, Jesus is saying. Right? Dry wood? I have a wood-burning stove. I like the dry wood that died and dried out because it's, it, it burns a lot nicer in my living room, right? But it's dead. So what Jesus, when he talked about society being the dry wood, would be the time where he's removed. And we see today the mobs, the crime, the wars, the hate, all these things happening. So Jesus is projecting his prophecy into the future. So let me just leave you with this. At the end of the day, the polarizing effect. Right? The polarizing effect. And even this morning, if you're new to the Bible or the biblical Jesus, you might be polarized. Some of you may be moving towards 
Christ and saying, you know what, I want to, I want to know this real Jesus. I want to know the one who died for my sins. Others could be watching, who knows, might be saying, you know what, I'm turned off by what you're saying, Pastor Joe. Too much detail. I don't know about this whole Bible thing. I'm not digging it. So the polarizing effect is where do we stand on these claims and are we, are we searching for the truth? To be honest with ourselves, investigate these claims and follow the truth wherever it leads us. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.